Welcome to this week's Think Jewish. And the topic tonight is the power of charity. What is the power of charity? So first, let me begin, as I always do, by saying, what does this have to do with this week's Torah portion? And the answer is because in this week's Torah portion, we are commanded that we should do acts of charity such as loans, giving interest-free loans. You know that it is prohibited for a Jew to either give or take a loan that is connected with interest. So actually, very interesting enough, many, many organizations, many communities have this Saturday night a very special um, dinner, fundraised dinner. I know in Crown Heights they had it, and every single year at this Shabbat, the Rebbe would ask the person who was in charge to actually stand up, give it Torah. He would put on one of the chassidish for hats that you see, the strimal, and the Rebbe would give him actually, in participation, a bottle of uh, vodka or whatever it may be for the chayim to give out on his behalf at the dinner. What was this dinner about? This dinner was the annual fundraiser for Gemach, the Gemilat Chasadim. Almost every religious community has that. It's a free loan society. And that is done in this week's Torah portion because in this week's Torah portion it says, Im kesa if, and uh, this is one of the three ifs that we don't translate as if, but when. The Talmud says it's not an if, it's a when. You shall lend money to he or she who needs it. And then this community itself has, in uh, South Florida, um, you have different uh, free loan societies from different communities, and you have to bring a guarantor, so forth and so on. It all comes from this week's Torah portion. And thus, in the year that I was born, 1967, the Rebbe used this week in his mimer, his Hasidic discourse, to discuss the power of charity. So let's talk about it. Little introduction. The Talmud says that the reason why there's rich and there's poor. Why is there rich and there's poor? I don't know if you guys ever read the book. I think it's called The Blue. Oh, my God. Um, the Blue. It talks about two different ways of looking at the world and business. One says that there's only a limited amount. And therefore, if you have it, I can't have it. So I have to get it away from you. And that's the competitive approach. And then the other approach is that we're dealing with the source of infinite abundance. So it's not either you or me. I don't have to set up shop and try to get your customers away. Quite the contrary, let me find my niche and my specialty and from there, I'll bring new customers. And that's the two differences of approach. With that being the case, knowing that God, knowing that God has an infinite abundance, why is there rich and poor? Why can't everyone be rich? So the Talmud answers. The reason why there has to be rich and poor is in order that there should be chesed, kindness. There can't be that type of chesed if everyone's rich. If no one needs anything, then how do you have this whole concept of doing kindness, giving charity? So our sages say, that the poor man definitely understands this. He just doesn't have to understand, he just doesn't understand why does he have to be the poor one. <laughs> if you need a rich and a poor, why do I have to be the poor one? 
I'm going to say to give an answer that uh, has to do with mazal, and uh, but that's not tonight's class. Why are some people rich and some people poor specifically this one, that one? That's not what our class is tonight about. Our class tonight about is the power of charity. So with this, with this understanding that there has to be a rich and there has to be a poor in order there should be chesed, kindness, let's question that. And why does there have to be chesed? Why do we need chesed? It is said, if you read the writings of Herzl, he actually was against the whole concept of charity, saying that it actually empowers people to lean on the community. Why do we need to have charity? Let all be rich. Let all either deal we do the way we deal today with money or deal with bothering. But why do we need to have a rich and a poor? Why does there have to be this concept of charity consistently throughout the history of mankind? The answer is, according to Kabbalah, it's very different than what all of you think. The reason why it has to be chesed in the world has nothing what to do between man and mankind. Very interesting. Because if it was only between man and mankind, God could have taken care of that problem. God could have made everyone rich, and no one would need the chesed. So obviously, the reason why God made some rich and some poor is not because of the need of mankind. That could have been taken care of without any poverty in the world. So the reason why there is a rich and a poor in order there should be chesed is not because of my relationship with you and your relationship with me. Rather, it's because of our relationship with God. There is a specific need for us to have chesed between you and I in order to enact a specific necessary relationship between us and God and God and us. Now let's back up a moment. So now we understand that charity really isn't about because people are needy. Because that could have been taken care of. God could have just totally abolished the entire concept of poverty and neediness. But God chose not to. And he chose not to because of chesed. And why does he need chesed? It's not because of the poor person. He could have taken care of the poor person himself. He chose not to take care of the poor person. In order to let us take care of the poor person. In order that we should do chesed. Because that's going to trigger something specifically. Between God and I. I and God. God and creation. Creation and God. And to understand this, we need to focus on one small little verse. Ki olam chesed yibane. God built the world with chesed. For those of you who have been studying the ten svirot, there's the three intellects, put them aside. We have the world was created in seven days, not in ten days. So let's remove the intellect for right now. Let's talk about the foundation of creation, which is the seven emotions. Which is the first of the seven emotions? Chesed, kindness. The second one is givura. And instead of going through all of them, let's just focus for a moment on chesed and givura. What was created on the first day? Light. What is light? Revelation. Chesed. What was created on the second day? Givura. What is givura? Strictness. What happened on the second day? The second day was the separations of the waters. The whole concept of separation defined borders. 
that whole concept of justice until here and not further, that's all givura. So seemingly every single day was created by its own emotion. If you're going to get to Friday, which is foundation, who was created on Friday? Mankind. What is the foundation of the entire world? Mankind. Mankind and his freedom of choice and her freedom of choice. What is Shabbat? Shabbat is malchut. Shabbat is kingship. And that's what Shabbat is all about. So seemingly every single day was created from its own emotion. So why does the verse say, Ki olam chesed It should have been like the Zohar states. And the world was created in the six supernal days. And what's the supernal days? The supernal emotions of God. The sfirot. I shouldn't say the emotions of God, but the way God created that transformer between the omnipotent, the infinite, and the finite is through that machine of emotions, that sfirot. And seven of them are emotions, and that's what he used for creation. So the obvious question here is, why do we need to have chesed more than any other thing? Monday was created through gvura. Tuesday was created through tferet. And so forth and so on. And yet that's not what the verse says. Because the Zohar tells us that even though every single day was created with its own emotion, its own emotional emanation of the system, Nevertheless, each one had to have chesed. Were chesed not to be part of every single day, that creation of that day would not have taken place. And thus we have, ki olam chesed because chesed has to be together with every single other emotion. Chesed is the foundation of creation. And even when the other day is primarily built upon another emanation, it still needs chesed. Now, when we talk about this verse, olam chesed yibaneh, there's two ways of looking at it. One way of looking at it is that olam means forever. It doesn't just mean world. When we say le'olam va'ed, right? After Shema, we say baruch shem kivod malchuto le'olam va'ed. The word le'olam means what? Forever. So one way of saying it is, Olam Chesed Yibaneh, we have to make sure that forever God's kindness, God's Chesed is shining. So the word Olam means forever, and basically it's now shifting the responsibility. In the first six days of creation before mankind existed, it was not our responsibility to arouse God's kindness. That came from the words that we say in Kabbalah and Hasidus is, Ki chafetz chesed hu. Because he desired kindness. He didn't need to be aroused to be kind. From his own, in his own supernal will, he wanted to be kind. But once man was created, what does the verse tell us? And God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. Why? To work it and to guard it. And we're taught in the teaching of Kabbalah that from that very moment it would no more come from above by itself. It would have to be induced from below. Because if you read the verses before Adam was placed in the garden, the garden wasn't created on the sixth day. It was created before the trees, the plants, the fruits. So it says, the verse says, that before mankind was there, God had a system that worked from above. Ke'ed yalem in the aretz. The 
mist arose, moved over the garden, and came back down. It's a simple water cycle. Man wasn't involved. The trees didn't need pruning. We didn't have any concepts of evil and destruction. So everything was perfect. The system just worked by itself. Once mankind was brought into the picture, there would be no more system working by itself. From this point on, it would now have to be everything that's going to come from above would have to be aroused and induced, provoked from below. And thus the verse is telling us, now that everything depends upon mankind, our freedom of choice, what we're going to do to make things happen, therefore the verse is telling us, remember, Olam, forever, if you want the world to exist and the world needs chesed, not because you and I should survive with each other, but rather because we need to draw chesed from above, supernal kindness, so that God keeps on creating and vivifying and sustaining the world. For that to keep on happening every second, we need every second God's chesed. But now to have God's chesed is not going to come from Him. God put us in the driver's seat. The center of the universe is no more heaven, it's earth. This is the room, this is the place, the control place, where everything happens. From here on, as the verse says, and God is my shadow. The shadow is moved by the hand, not the hand is moved by the shadow. So once God placed us in the driver's seat, in the center of the universe, the verse is telling us, forever make sure that you build chesed. Because if you don't construct God's kindness, chesed, the world can't exist. Thus we need to question, and how do we construct God's chesed? So I just told you the secret. God is our shadow. What we do arouses God to do. Thus we now understand the power of charity is that when I do chesed, my shadow, quote-unquote, which is God, is doing chesed. So the reason why I'm doing chesed is not just that the poor person or whatever it may be, the organization, whatever you're supporting, whatever you're giving charity to, it's not that for the sake of the organization and its work and the people it serves, it's not for the sake only of the poor person who needs to feed his family and feed himself, but it's actually even on a greater level it's for the sake of the entire universe. Because the entire universe, as we said, depends on God's attribute of kindness. Because if God's not in the motion of revelation, then nothing exists. We need to have God's revelation, the power of the infinite light, to shine in order to exist. And therefore, we need to do it now. Six days we had a freebie. After that, no more. And that's why all the things we do down here on Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar, all those things is because creation now depends upon us. God put us in the control room and we need to do the right things to provoke God to do the same thing and thus creation exists. So now we understand the charity, the power of charity is far greater and deeper than we ever realized. Understand that when you're giving an individual charity, 
you're not just sustaining that individual. But what you're actually doing is causing an effect by God. You're the cause and God is the effect. And what is the effect? That now God is shining his chesed. And when God shines his chesed, the world is revivified, it's sustained, it's strengthened, it's balanced because God's chesed is shining. So here we have a very, very beautiful, total new understanding of the importance of chesed. And you understand again the foundation to what we were saying. The whole notion of God making a rich man and a poor man is for chesed, which kind of puts the, our entire paradigm on its head. We think that there's chesed because it's poor people, we have to give the poor person. So that's why we have to have chesed. It's quite the contrary. The poor person exists so that chesed can exist. By the way, parenthetically speaking, there is an unbelievable talk from the Rebbe where the Rebbe says if we were to realize what the Talmud is saying, we would have to literally thank and be ashamed of the poor person. Because what the Talmud is saying is that this poor person is being poor for no other reason so that you can do chesed. That's a very powerful thought. It kind of really helps us understand who's doing who a favor. The cow by milking the calf or by the calf removing the milk from the cow. Very interesting notion here. Am I helping the poor man? Or am I understanding that there will be no poor if not for me needing to do chesed. So he's actually fulfilling for me the possibility of doing chesed. But that's one talk over there of the Rebbe. But focusing on what we're saying here, that the entire notion of why does chesed have to exist? Why couldn't God just make everyone rich? And there would be no notions of chesed. Everyone without pains and sufferings of intellectual, emotional, financial, physical. These are all in the category of creating chesed. Why couldn't God just make everyone perfect? And there would be no notion of chesed at all. And we wouldn't need it. So from here we understand that the need of chesed is not to sustain your fellow man. God could have very easily taken care of that. The notion of chesed is so that the world and God can have the right relationship. Because as I started off this class, the Zohar tells us that creation depends upon chesed, regardless of any other of the emanations, the emotional emanations of divinity. Nevertheless, chesed is the ultimate necessary component of creation. And because God put the world by choice, God put the world that he's the effect and we are the cause. Nothing is no more what the Zohar calls bread of shame. Bread of shame means that God's giving when we didn't earn. That's shameful. To be able to eat that which you earned is honorable. So God allowed us to be in the driver's seat. That he's not sustaining us in bread of shame. Here, there's nothing you deserve, but let me give you anyway. Rather, he's allowing us to be the cause and he to be the effect. So therefore the world needs chesed. So God needs to shine chesed. 
but that is going to be the effect of our actions. And what, which one of my actions can cause God to have a chesed reaction? Obviously, my acts of chesed. So we now have a total different understanding in the beauty and the importance of chesed. Chesed is not the outcome of need, human needs. It's the outcome of the creation, the universe's need to have God's chesed. Add on to that, it is the outcome of God's beautiful relationship with us that he's allowing himself to be the effect and us to be the cause. So while so many people have so many questions, are we just like puppets? Is God just pulling our strings? Do we really have freedom of choice? Well, now we're hearing a very, very interesting concept. It seems to be that God's the puppet and we're pulling the strings because that's how God chose it to be. Cause and effect. The words in Kabbalah is, Isrusa de la Sata, Isrusa de la Ela, the arousal from below causes the arousal from above. God is my shadow, says the verse. So we understand now that this entire concept of having chesed is not a human's need onto another human, but rather it's the need in that ultimate freedom of choice relationship we have with God. That we are the cause and God is the effect. That's the love that God has for us. He allows us that relationship. Now let's go to a deeper step. So far so good, my friends? Let's go to a deeper step. There's another interpretation that the word olam doesn't mean forever, but it means world. The entire world was built way before cause and effect even began. Six days before cause and effect began, God created the world. And how did he create the world then? With his own chesed. When we talk about God creating the world with his own chesed, we need to go back for a moment and understand the Kabbalistic build of cause and effect. I told you that God put us in the center of the universe. God put us in the driver's seat. And therefore, it's our arousal from below that causes the reaction of God's arousal from above. So God's sitting over there. I'm going to make these pictures, pictures over here. But don't quote me on this. So God forbid I'm not putting pictures on God. But God's sitting there having no feelings, no arousal. I don't want to give chesed. I don't not want to give chesed. There's total apathy. And what happens now? Because God connected himself to us that he is our shadow. So the minute I go ahead and do chesed down here, what happens now? All of a sudden up there, there becomes an arousal and God wants to do chesed. Cause and effect. Okay? So that is the simple state of Isrusa de la Sata, Isrusa de la Ela. The arousal from below, the la Sata, caused the reaction of the Isrusa de la Ela. Now let's talk about the next step. Where does the human even have the arousal to do chesed? Where is he empowered to do that? So there's an amazing teaching 
that says that every human being, when he wakes up in the morning, wants to do the right thing. Where does the Kabbalah take that from? A very interesting verse. You remember Jacob's father-in-law? What was Jacob's father-in-law's name? Lavan. Lavan, when Jacob, remember he ran away with his wife and kids? Lavan came chasing him. He has a dream. God tells him, don't you dare. Don't curse. Don't bless. Leave my Jacob alone. And then what does the verse say? They met. They this, they that. And then what happens? Lavan wakes up in the morning. He kisses his daughters and his grandchildren and he goes away. Lavan means white. In Kabbalah, the supernal white is the ultimate arousal from above which empowers that people down here should have an arousal. So, Vayashkim Lavan, the supernal white, which doesn't need you to push its buttons, it should react. It is. And what happens? He kisses, he empowers all of us and now with that empowerment we can begin phase two where now I'm going to go ahead and be aroused to do something right which then is going to cause God to be aroused to do something right so it's very interesting God from above unsolicited arouses all of us and that empowers us down here to do the right thing which then arouses God to do the right thing so there's somewhere out there this Vayashkim Lavan, and that's why it says in Chassidus that when the human being wakes up, the first thing he wants to do or she wants to do is the right thing. Then, of course, comes thoughts and other compromises, and all of a sudden, we're very challenged with doing the right thing. But were mankind not to be challenged and be able to stay in that state of bliss the way they just woke up, just woke up, ready to say Moda'ani, we would never do anything wrong. There's that flash, but then love him goes away. I kissed you, I empowered you, and then I go away. Love him goes back home, and Jacob's moving on the way. So we have that kiss. We have that flash of supernal white within us. We're ready to now take on the day, but it's going to be challenged. And then we're going to have to use freedom of choice to do the right thing. And then when we use freedom of choice to do the right thing, we then go ahead and arouse from above. We're not over with our arousals yet. Then it says in Kabbalah that after God is aroused in reaction to what we did, then comes the, the, the ultimate arousal from above, which is above and beyond anything we can induce. So I shared with you right now three arousals from above, one arousal from below. The morning arousal from above, which empowers us to do the right thing. The arousal from above, which is a reaction, the shadow, the effect of me doing the right thing down here. And then there's the gift bonus that once I did the right thing, and I got God aroused. Not only is he responding with the effect arousal to my cause, but there's the ultimate supernal arousal, which has nothing to do with the essence that's shining. So far, so good? People? Now I want to put this on pause. Let's talk for a moment. You know, human 
human nature is really built on relationship. That's what we're always looking for, a relationship. A relationship with God, a relationship with ourselves, a relationship with others, a business relationship, a sibling relationship, a parent relationship, a child relationship. It goes on and on. There's all different type of relationships. Now, in relationships, you're going to have two separate type of relationships. They're two phases, two levels, two layers. One is cause and effect. I do for you, you do for me. I love you, you love me. It's a dance. And as you know the saying, you can't be alone on the dance floor. If you really want to dance, you've got to have a dancing partner. And that dance is always going to be what the Mishnah calls dependent on something. Any one of the two stop nurturing the relationship and the relationship begins to simmer. However, when you stop and you think about it, you'll realize that you're yearning all along in your life for the relationship that does not have to be fed. What we would call the ner tamid, the eternal flame. And many of you probably have this type of relationship. I'll just give you a poor example for a moment. You ever have this relationship of someone who you didn't see for three years, 10 years, and they come back to you, and all of a sudden it's like nothing ever happened. You picked up the conversation exactly where it was left. There's no moments of uncomfortability. There's no breaking the ice. There's no refreshing and dusting up and re-blossoming the relationship. It's like it never stopped. That's a poor example for what we're talking about. But I just want to share with you that there are certain relationships that don't need to be nurtured. Most of the relationships we have and most of the experiences in any of the relationships we have is cause and effect. Right? If you guys ever learned the seven habits of successful people, right? He talks about that. There's an emotional bank account. You make deposits, you can make withdrawals. You don't make deposits, there's no withdrawals. But most of us that are dreamers, we yearn for a total different relationship. One that I don't have to make deposits, one that there's no withdrawals. It's just eternal oneness. We're talking about real eternal oneness. Let's quote some romantic stuff from the Torah. King Solomon speaks about the kiss of the mouth. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? The kiss of the mouth with God. So our sages says he's talking about studying Torah. Why is he talking about studying Torah? Because the only essence relationship I can have on God, not dependent on my needs and your supplying, is really understanding that when we study Torah not as a book of laws, not as the bridge to either heaven or hell, but rather this is the seminal expression of God to mankind. Everything else in the world was created by God talking, talking, talking. Not the Torah. The Torah is the essence of God. In the world of Kabbalah, we refer to the Torah as to the seed of a man that was placed into the womb. God being our husband and us being his wife. We're not talking about all the, forgive my language for a moment, foreplay and what took place for that transmission. The mountain, the flowers, the mon, the splitting of the sea. It was a whole romantic dating system. We're talking about that actual transmission. 
That itself is the essence relationship. And that's why the prophet scoffs at the Jew who's screaming, God, I want you, I love you, I'm looking for spirituality. And the prophet scoffs him. You're standing in the ocean screaming that you need a drink? God gave you the Torah. Are you looking for a real essence relationship? Then learn the Torah not to become a scholar, not to go to heaven, but simply to become one with God's mind, with God's will, his intellect. So thus, King Solomon refers to this as a very unique relationship. And God kissed me with the kiss of lip to lip. <laughs> Even my kids know. You kiss, you kiss on the cheek, you kiss on the forehead. They see people kissing on the lips. The reaction is, ew. They know that that's something different. And that's what God gave us. Nishikas piu. Let's talk about another statement in the, in the Zohar. It talks about the yearning of the Jew. He becomes subservient and one with the body of the king. Very interesting notion. The body of the king. That means the ultimate relationship I can have with God is not my soul and his spirituality, but my body and his body. And then the question is, what is the body of God? So again, we refer to a Kabbalistic teaching. The 248 commandments are the 248 organs of God, of the king. The 365 prohibitions is the sinews of the king. And again, it's that same notion. It's the notion to be able to just penetrate beyond the whole cause and effect. Where I'm doing a mitzvah, not because it's going to bring me reward, and not because it's a segula. If I do this, I'll find a shidduch. If I do that, I'll buy a house. If I do this, God will make me rich. But rather that yearning of that ultimate relationship, the kiss from lips to lips, and the unification body to body. And what we're talking about in Kabbalah language is essence to essence. I want more than just your reaction to me because I am finite. And if your reaction to me is going to be finite. God, can you give me something more than a reaction? Can we have a chesed that's not the mirror reaction to my chesed? Even though God put me in the driver's seat and told me, how do you do that? Because according to the original teaching of Olam Chesed Yibaneh, which I explained to you second, that we're talking about that the original chesed came from God, non-solicited. We're talking about the ultimate arousal from above. How do we enact that? Seemingly, from everything I just told you, the whole point of that is that it can't be aroused. Essence can't be aroused. Nevertheless, God empowers us even here I want nothing to be a cause of shame so that you should sit in pleasure and wealth and feel, I don't deserve this. So God's ultimate kindness is to allow even that which is beyond solicitation, beyond being provoked, beyond being aroused, should also somehow be in relationship to what we do. So even the ultimate chesed which is the ultimate arousal from above, beyond anything we can do, God tells us, 
it's still you. Now, technically, how does this work? I seem to be talking out of two sides of my mouth. It can't be aroused, but God wants it to be aroused from us. And the answer is that there's two type of relationships. There's one where I am arousing and provoking, and there's another thing where I'm not arousing and provoking, I'm just getting out of the way. For example, when we talk about chesed, unity, and love, why does that draw down the essence? It's not because that's the vessel for the essence. The essence has no vessel. What it does is it removes the blockage. What's the blockage? God has blockage? Yeah, God has blockage. Because the Zohar says that God gave a rule. God does not rest in anything that is incomplete. And when we don't get along, we each stand as individuals, we're incomplete. However, when we can go the extra mile of unity and love, we are no more incomplete. That doesn't arouse the essence. The essence is not to be aroused. What that does do is, it removes the blockage. We call that in the language of the Zohar, hasarat hamenia. Just take away that which is in the way. How do we do that with chesed? What are we looking for? What we said is that we're looking for the type of chesed, the type of arousal, which is beyond anything that we can do to arouse it. Correct? That's what we said. So, how do, we, how do we do this? It's very interesting. The Rebbe quotes the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the famous Rabbi Shmuel, to say as follows. If you give charity, very interesting what he says here. If you give charity beyond your comfortable present capacity, you're going to get God to do the same. If we're asking for an illogical relationship, if we're asking, give me more than I deserve, what do you want? I want you. So you're asking more than one feels comfortable expressing in a relationship. All of us have walls. We all have walls guarding that center core of our being. But now you want God to open those walls to you. You want God not only to give the revelation of chesed. You want God to give his essence. You want that kiss from lips to lips. You want that unification of body to body with God. For that, you're going to have to do what you want should be done. Take the chesed beyond your comfort zone. And thus, you've opened up the path, removed all blockage. For God, introducing the essence way beyond the comfort zone of a relationship. Here's very interesting. Look what you say in your Shema. And you shall love God your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. And what goes next? With all your might. And... Kabbalah and Hasidis and the Rebbe specifically has so many teachings on that word, me'odecha. Bechol nafshecha, the Talmud says, means even if God's taking your life away from you, you should still love him. Even as the neck is on your blade, it's over. You should say, I love God. Bechol nafshecha. 
What does Bechoma Odecha mean? It's interesting. Bechoma Odecha, if you look in Rashi, simple Rashi, no deep mysticism. Rashi says two things. Actually, three Taitches there. But for tonight, one says with all your money, Ma'od means money. And one says, Bechoma Odecha with all your might. What does it mean, Bechoma Odecha with all your might? What it means is, God, I can't no more. So now let me do one more thing for you. God, I've come to my breaking point. Let's do it one more time. Okay. Without embarrassing myself, how many of you people do go to the gym? For real? <laughs> like January 4th? <laughs> you know that in the gym, what's the secret of the trainer? To push you, push you, and push you until you're falling, and then push you for one more. Give me one more set. Give me one more set. Because if you want new muscles, you got to rip through the old muscles. Give me one more set. That's what it means. You just told God, I've done it all for you. I, I, I'm at my last. I, I can't no more. Give him one more set. And here's what's beautiful. Because my one more set and your one more set has two different levels. I'm pumping 90 pounds maybe 10 times, and you're pumping 240 pounds uh, 50 times. What's my ma'od and what's your ma'od? But it doesn't make a difference. Because as long as I can push past, past my capacity, I'm now in the realm of a relationship of beyond my comfort zone. Essence to essence. So for you that can pump 240, 50 times, and you're watching me pumping 90, 10 times, and the guy screams at me, give me one more set, and I give him another two, and drop the thing on the floor, I pass my me'odcha. You try that, it won't work. Because what we're talking about here is breaking, just breaking your own sound barrier. What we're talking about here is that last, I can't no more, give it one more time. What does that do? What that does is it opens up you, the universe, to receive from God not only the cause and effect relationship, because everything we have is only cause and effect. But if you want to have an essence relationship, you want to have the kiss from lips to lips. You want to have that ultimate unification. Not the one that makes sense. Not the one that's glorious. Not the one that is all light versus light or light connecting with light. We're talking about body to body. We're talking about studying Torah not for scholar, not for heaven. I just want you, God. I want to be able to finish your sentence for you. I want to know you that well. I want to be one with you. God, I want to do mitzvot. Here's an amazing story, people. An amazing story. The Baal Shem Tov promised a woman a child. And they told him from heaven, you knew that she wasn't supposed to have a child. And now because you promised her, we have to keep the ruling in the Talmud that the tzaddik decrees and God fulfills. So now we're going to have to give her a child even though she wasn't meant to have a child. And for that, you're going to be punished. And what's your punishment? You've lost your entire world to come. The minute the Baal Shem Tov heard that, he started dancing. Unlike my friend Ari here that cringed. Why did he start dancing? He said, no matter how selfless I am, 
every time I do a mitzvah, I know that I'm going to get a piece of heaven. So I never really did it for God. Now that I know beyond any doubt that there is no paradise waiting for me, the next thing I'm going to do is just for God. Push it beyond the limit. We don't have the physical capacity to do that. And we do it anyway. So this type of charity, which creates the ultimate chesed, the mouth-to-mouth kiss with God, that chesed comes when we look at our checkbook, we know how much bills we have, we know when the beginning of the month is coming, we know what we have to give, and it wouldn't be comfortable to up that gift by another $10, by another $100, by another $1,000. And then like the Baal Shem Tov, okay God, this one's for you. And what does that do? That brings you not only the cause and effect chesed of God, that brings you the unconditional essence, lip to lip chesed of God. So let's rewrap it up here quickly. We spoke about that the chesed is not needed because people are in need. God could have made, no one is in need. So when the Talmud says that he made people in need, there should be chesed. I understand now that chesed is not for the sake of my fellow man. Chesed is for the sake of something between God and I. And then we spoke about that what? Why is there a chesed needed between God and I? Because we're taught that the verse says that God built the world with chesed. And not only he built the world, but it needs to consistently be built and sustained. And it needs chesed. And being that God this time around, after six days, said, people, I've carried you on welfare long enough. Now I'm going to give you a beautiful, proud opportunity. Get up and earn your relationship with me. You want chesed? Earn it. How do we earn chesed? Through the uh, relationship of cause and effect, arousal from below, arousal to above. I do chesed, God does chesed. So we now understand that when you do chesed, you're not only helping the person, the organization, the people that the organization helps. What you're helping is the entire universe. You're introducing God's chesed into the world, which is fundamental for the existence of the universe. universe. And then we introduce the second layer. Getting beyond the cause and effect. Getting to the b'choma odecha. Getting to the lip to lip. The body to body. The essence to essence. For that... You got to break down the walls between essence and revelation. Revelation is cause and effect. Essence is different. And how do you break down the walls? By doing the same thing. By going beyond the cause and effect, going beyond the logic, pushing it, pushing the gift to just beyond your comfort zone. And in return, you get the same. Beyond the comfort zone of I stand by myself, but I'll have a relationship with you. No, I won't stand by myself. I will be one with you. That type of relationship with God is the reaction. I don't want to use the word reaction here, but at least that is brought about by me removing the barriers of saying, no, I can only have a comfort zone relationship with you. People, thank you.